Hello everyone. Did you ever wonder how a large company organizes the transformation to a more circular business? And what if you're producing and selling thousands of products, how to assess and manage their circularity? These are the two main questions we will explore in this episode. My guest is from IKEA and he will share experiences they made so far. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models. This episode is about IKEA. IKEA is the world's largest furniture retailer. It was founded in Almhut, Sweden by Ingvar Kamprad in 1943. Since then, IKEA has gone from being a tiny mail-order company to becoming one of the most well-known home furnishing brands in the world. In 1976, Ingvar launched the Testament of a Furniture Dealer, the foundation for the way IKEA works, already there clearly pointing to waste being a mortal sin. Therefore, taking action to be smarter and responsible with the use of resources has always been part of IKEA's DNA since nearly half a century. Today's guest joined IKEA in 2017 and developed a simulation tool that was the basis of IKEA's carbon footprint goals. He was part of the climate team and since about two and a half years he is member of the circular team. In the past years he worked on purchasing topics and recently focused on circular product development. I want to welcome Simon Skook and before we start with circularity at IKEA, Simon, What was the last furniture you bought and how circular is that? The last piece of furniture I acquired was actually uh, a sofa table, uh, which was gifted uh, by my in-laws. Uh, it's this uh, quite old, not sure how old it is, uh, sturdy, uh, solid wood on, uh, with some glass panels uh, sofa table. Uh, I would say it's quite circular, actually. Uh, it is treatable, uh, and furniture, like any other products you acquire, is something that you probably will have to maintain uh, some, uh, somewhat during its lifespan. Uh, what I'm missing out now is, of course, that I haven't gotten the time yet to actually maintain it, uh, so I can't really use it to its full potential, because as, at the moment it soaks in all the water and stains, so I probably need to re-oil it. Uh, apart from that, I mean, once I have actually cared for it, uh, I would say it's uh, a great example of a circular product, uh, 100% renewable material except the glass, everything is recyclable at end of life. The issue I had have with it now is once we are to actually move, I guess it will be quite painful to take it with us uh, since it's not really a knockdown product and it's... Uh, extremely heavy <laughs> so we'll see uh, how that works and uh, if we can do that without actually damaging the product going forward right when looking at your sofa table from a circular perspective it becomes clear that circularity is more than the sum of materials and components and now when we take that to the next level and switch to ikea i mean ikea has a really wide range of products and stores all around the globe Can you give us an overview of IKEA's circularity strategy? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, when we started out, of course, we saw that it is a super big topic. And for a company that you know has been very successful in a linear supply chain before or a linear setup, uh, to transform that entirely into a circular one will take some time. Uh, but we started early on looking at the natural components of the IKEA business and then uh, to see, okay, what kind of goals do we need? What do we need to address? And what are the low-hanging fruits? And uh, how are we to actually get this into the IKEA strategy? Um, so once we looked into the components of the IKEA business, uh, I think the goals came quite naturally after that. We kind of saw directly, okay, what do we need to address Uh, and what KPIs do we need uh, in order to measure this uh, 
uh, yeah, uh, what do you say? Uh, tra transformation. Uh, so the goals that we have now uh, are divided into four. So the first goal is to enable our customers to acquire, care for, and pass on products in circular ways. Uh, and this is where we look into the needs of our customers today. How can we help them when it comes to, example, caring for your products? I mean, what I previously described about my table, uh, we at IKEA do have that expertise and we need to be better at communicating that to our customers as well, what they can do with the furniture uh, after a certain time. We also need to be better at uh, helping in the actual repair of the furniture. I mean, if some components breaks in a product, uh, we should be able to, uh, uh, to provide that as a spare part to the customer. So, for example, if you have a big old uh, uh, storage system or a wardrobe, then uh, one component breaks and if we cannot provide you with that component then maybe you will end up ha having to scrap the entire thing then it would be better for us to actually be able to give you that or support you with that spare part right uh, and then we here we also look into new alternative business models uh, so where we have then been out or uh, mainly our biggest franchisee then the inca group has been out talking to our customers to find out uh, what 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 is it that they want and what will they expect from us if we will do this uh, uh, or if we want to transform into a circular supply chain. Uh, and it's you know uh, one of the things we're looking into there are new kind of ways to acquire a product. So for example, leasing or renting or the sharing economy. And then we also look into in the product development already, okay, what do we need to accommodate for if we are to lease out certain types of furniture. The second goal is uh, using 100% renewable and or recycled materials. Uh, and I think it's kind of self-explanatory, uh, but what we see here is that we use a lot of wooden materials. So we use a lot of solid wood, but also, of course, a lot of engineered wood components in uh, in our range but then we also use plastics we use uh, various metals and things like that and there we need to look into okay what what is the source of these materials how can we move them to become more or come from more renewable and or recycled sources and there we see that we do have a challenge where some materials may be you know, can only be recycled up to a certain rate. Uh, and once we go above that, you will lose the material properties in the, uh, in the actual material. Uh, so th that's, that is something that we have as a goal, that by 2030, uh, we will then need to find alternative materials that we can use in the range instead to accommodate for only using renewable and or recycled materials. Mm -hmm. The third one, uh, is working through advocacy, collaboration, and business partnership as we join forces with others. And basically, what we mean here is that uh, it's a super huge topic uh, and it's a big challenge. Uh, so that's why we can't do it on ourselves. Uh, so we need to work together with others. Uh, fortunately, we have the uh, a great opportunity since we own most of our value chain ourselves. Uh, but there's still some areas where we need uh, uh, help and also give help to other companies and other stakeholders into this uh, in order to move everyone towards a circular economy. And then the last one, which I am mainly focusing on uh, nowadays, is designing all products to be circular. Uh, so here I am working together with Range and Supply uh, to set uh, what a circular product actually means for all the various products. As you previously said, we have a lot of them uh, having a range. Uh, so for example, a 100% circular sofa will not have the same criteria as a 100% circular uh, pot and pan maybe. Uh, the, these criteria where we then evaluate all the products towards uh, are uh, stored in what we call a circular recipe. So all the various products groups we have in IKEA 
will then have a recipe defining kind of what makes this product a circular product. And then we can go into every single product in our range and then rate them to see, okay, how well do you do this particular product we're currently assessing live up to the criteria we have defined, which will then form a baseline uh, so we know what we need to work on uh, uh, for the future product development in order to actually stand by our commitment to have 100% circular products. Right. So these are the four pillars of IKEA's strategy. In the last 12 months, you made several announcements like being fully circular by 2030 or joining the Alan MacArthur Foundation. When did circularity become a major topic inside IKEA? Um, I, I believe it's always been there somewhat. Uh, so if you... Uh, look into uh, the testament of the furniture dealer that Ingvar published in 1975. We can see a lot of circular thinking already there. Uh, the focus in that testament were, however, more focusing on uh, using the resources more smartly in our products. Uh, while now we are moving more towards emphasizing on uh, the end of life for products. So, for example, uh, we created our Billy bookcase from industry waste at a time when scraps and dusts from sawmills were seen as waste. Uh, today, the same material is a valuable resource in uh, many different types of board materials, and the Billy bookcase has remained with IKEA for more than 40 years, still in many, many people's homes. Uh, and we will, of course, continue to move that agenda so that we will find more ways to use our resources smarter, smarter in, the, in our supply chain. Uh, but as I said, I mean, the emphasis now is more on the end of life. So how can we help our customers at the end of life to recycle the product? Maybe which materials can and can't we use in order to uh, uh, be able to recycle them? Uh, what can we do when it comes to care and repair and kind of looping the products is what we're saying here. So uh, instead of only looking at one product life, what can we do for that particular product in its second or third life? So moving away from the incineration and landfill of our products to more being able to say uh, uh, reuse, refurbishment and remanufacturing. So would you say that some of the beliefs and decisions we call circularity have been there already for quite some time? Exactly. I mean, uh, another example is uh, in all stores you can find this Asis corner or Fynd as we call it in Swedish, uh, where you can then buy uh, products that are either returned from customers or we had some kind of quality issue with them and then we will send, uh, sell them at a discounted price. And that is kind of a circular way of uh, looking at furniture and the furniture sales. But now we want to kind of put more emphasis on that and also look into what can we actually do with those furniture. So uh, if we have a hard time selling them because they are, uh, I don't know, damaged in the surface or uh, some, some, something, then uh, we will look into ways of actually improving the, uh, the uh, form Uh, and the design uh, or the uh, yeah the surface treatment again okay right and what was the reaction of your colleagues i'm also familiar with large organizations and if you change course you you trigger questions you sometimes have debates and uh, yeah well, what were major uh, concerns from your colleagues i think the biggest concerns probably lied in our big success or historical excess, uh, success in a linear supply chain. Uh, so when we started out, we first had to look at the ambition, of course, and uh, there we had a lot of ideas, and some of them could potentially mean a lot of changes for IKEA, while some of them were kind of more low-hanging fruit, which we could directly implement. Uh, so I think when you address these kind of changes to such a big organization as IKEA, You need to also find the things that are more feasible and also look into, you know, what, what, what can we actually build upon that we already today have in, the, in our value chain. Um, 
So for example, when we digged deeper into our product development, it was very interesting to see that a lot of the new uh, design principles which we were thinking about uh, that you know were a promotion for circularity were already somewhat implemented into what we call democratic design, which is the template for how we develop all our new products. Uh, so a lot of the new criteria were actually somewhat mentioned already in democratic design. So uh, we also found that now, when, or find that now when we do the assessment, that uh, a lot of products actually score quite high in some areas uh, towards circularity because uh, it's, it has already been implemented, but it wasn't really called a circular ambition uh, back then. Uh, same thing uh, we also saw when we looked into our supply chain. Uh, so part of the requirements for a circular supply chain already somewhat existed in, in uh, our supply chain. So for example, some initiative has been focusing on repairing uh, malfunctioning uh, furniture coming back from customers or from our CDCs or uh, warehouses. Uh, so either than through claims or that the fact that the customer no longer wants the product. Uh, but what we found when we looked into this and talked to our suppliers was that this wasn't really something new for them because they, of course, also have some uh, uh, product that gets damaged in uh, already during the production and then they already have means to uh, repair those furniture. So there, there is a lot of expertise uh, and knowledge about this uh, inner value chain already. So now it's more about consolidating uh, all this uh, experience and expertise now you have all this experience and expertise and when you look back can you spot any surprise moments you experienced along the way i think what one of the biggest uh like eye-opening experiences uh it was prior to me actually joining the circular team but before our circular team was formed we had another project or initiative called resource chain And what they looked into was this, uh, to look into the internal waste we have at IKEA. So what can we actually do with that? Uh, and if we manage then to secure all the internal waste, uh, how much would that help us in order uh, to be more sustainable and become more circular? And what we found was that it's not nearly enough uh, material that we can actually... Uh, we can actually get out of our internal waste. So we also needed them to extend and look into uh, external loops as well. And that, that was probably one of the biggest eye-opening experiences because then we actually saw that we need to be better or need to start looking into end of life of our products and how we can actually, you know, what, what we can actually do with products that we no longer own or we no longer have control over. What do you consider an external loop? Uh, so an external loop is, for example, a product that we have sold to a customer, uh, and maybe they uh, have uh, they bought it for a certain uh, uh, certain time period. They knew that oh, maybe I will keep this uh, product in for two years in my student accommodation or something. Uh, so IKEA no longer actually controls the products, uh, but of course there are still things we can do. Uh, in order to secure that either that product can be responsibly uh, recycled or help the customer in finding a new customer for their products. So let's say that they have a sofa for two years, which they had in a student accommodation, and they are trying to sell it to a new customer instead of sending it to uh, a recycling or sending it to landfill then maybe they would like to change the cover of the, the sofa. I don't know. Maybe the new customer you know, uh, find, finds a hard time buying that, knowing that it's been in a student accommodation. Uh, and then we must be better than to provide or uh, offer these types of new covers that you can put on uh, to make the product look as new. Simon, to me this sounds like looking at the core business from a totally new perspective. Before starting any actions, you need support and buy-in of many parts of the organization. How did you involve the colleagues? 
<laughs> no, it, it very interesting. I mean, IKEA is such a big organization, and we're also built on a franchisee concept. Uh, so we have a lot of various companies within IKEA, each of course with a big role to play in the transformation uh, uh, towards circularity. Uh, so what we did was setting up a small central team, kind of working, uh, uh, yeah, from uh, taking a holistic view then for all companies. But then, of course, we also needed some stakeholders in every company then, which we could uh, secure and talk to and uh, discuss the various topics and uh, the movements with. So one central team then to kind of manage and steer the initiatives and then some stakeholders which are maybe or maybe not 100% focused towards circularity but at least they have the, the ambition and the, the interest to then uh, take up the discussions and then uh, take them on in their own organizations as well. Hmm. So you, you mentioned the circular team. What kind of roles are part of that team? So in, in our circular team, uh, we have some people focusing on the supply chain related topics, uh, some focusing more on the range topics or more on the product development and what we need to uh, change there. Uh, then of course we have some material experts, uh, we have some chemical experts and then uh, engineering experts. So everyone then uh, taking on the discussions with their respective uh, stakeholders. Uh, but then we somehow manage all this information and uh, try to combine it so that we can uh, give this packages out to the organization. So this is what we mean with 100% uh, circular products maybe. These are the materials that we promote from a circular point of view. And these are the materials that we know that we have an issue with today. Uh, etc. Hmm. You said you're handing over these packages. Is it extra work for them or integrated in the work they do anyway? And how is the attitude towards these tasks? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a bit of both, I would say. Uh, so, of course, we're trying to implement it in our existing uh, uh, ways of working. Um uh, But then sometimes that takes too long and then maybe we'll have some additional documents which you have to go through. Uh, but I think the general acceptance of circularity in IKEA is very, very high. Uh, I mean, no one is questioning it uh, since it is a part of uh, our strategy going forward. Uh, so, but of course, we, we as a team also need to be better in actually you know, using the right language and uh, implementing it already in the standard uh, tools and uh, guidelines we use uh, for uh, other uh, initiatives we have ongoing at the key as well. When it comes to such strategic initiatives, normally the board does play an important role in these transformations. How are they involved? I would say that the board is extremely valuable for us. Uh, so since we have so many companies and so many stakeholders in this whole uh, transformation, then we have what we call strategic councils at IKEA, where you then gather a lot of different stakeholders, uh, and then you go up and present the new movements or the uh, initiatives that are ongoing, and then you get uh, you know either a go-ahead or know this you need to work with a bit more, and a lot of good feedback. Uh, which has, has, of course, helped us a lot because once you actually get this approval from a strategic council, then it's kind of a way also to tell the rest of the organization, well, this is actually happening now. Uh, and furthermore, I mean, our CEO, Tobin Love, uh, has been a tremendous support in this work. Uh, and the entire board has played an active role in giving us the thumbs up or shelling us when, when we need it. Uh, so the clarity of our 2030 direction was not always easy to get, uh, but having a strong reference point of the councils and the board have been essential and effective in setting us the right road towards 2030. Uh, so it means a lot to actually get this approval, uh, because then it's so much easier to navigate in the organization after that. Yeah, sure. 
the, the backing of the board makes it much easier for the whole organization to move in one direction. Absolutely. And what are your next steps to get closer to the 2030 goal? Ooh, <laughs> so we have a lot of things ongoing now. Uh, so uh, we're talking about moving and changing companies within the entire value chain. Uh, so with our 400, uh, approximately 400 stores and e-commerce channels in over 50 markets around the globe, we need to actually make this transformation. Um, so one thing is, of course, creating the buy-in uh, with all our various franchisees uh, to also look into uh, what uh, initiatives do we start do we need to start out in the markets uh, to actually help this and, and I think that's mo mainly connected to the first goal we have done uh, about uh, how the customers are to acquire care for and pass on products and then Uh, as I mentioned in the product development, we are currently assessing all our products to kind of find the baseline of where we are at. And that will lead to a roadmap where we'll then be able to pinpoint, okay, these are the things we need to address with this particular product or these are the materials that we use that we shouldn't use in the future maybe or we need to find solutions uh, for uh, how we can actually uh, treat this material or how we can recycle it. Um, and then, of course, we also need to look into, because now we have a lot of various initiatives and, uh, uh, and things ongoing, but we also need to look into, okay, how can we actually scale this up and what makes sense for us as IKEA And what is still a circular thing, maybe, but maybe something that isn't that big uh, for IKEA to do, or it doesn't make sense from a cost uh, perspective, or something. Yeah. So we need to look into more the scalability of all the solutions we have in place. All right. Now we talked a bit about the organizational setup and the strategic perspective. Let's move on to another topic that is closer to your products. I'd love to learn more about your design principles. Considering that IKEA has thousands of products, yes. how did you start to design for circularity? Uh, so I think we, we started with pu putting up these design principles, uh, which are uh, design for standardization, design for adaptability, uh, design for remanufacturing, design for care and repair, and also disassembly and reassembly, and in the end, then recycling. So we looked into those design principles to then kind of define, okay, what does that mean for IKEA's range? Uh, uh, and we had them kind of on a high level saying that these, uh, these uh, design principles should be fulfilled by the entirety of IKEA's range. But what we then did was actually look into or we noticed that we need to address the products on a product level in order to actually secure that we do the transformation. And what we found then when we looked into the, on a product level, or how we actually sell our uh, products to our customers, was that not all design principle uh, is really applicable for uh, uh, all the products we have in our range. And The, the way of how you actually offer or do design for adaptability, for example, it differs between uh, a sofa and, uh, uh, yeah, let's take an accessory like a knife or something. So we then notice that we have to actually go down on a product level to secure, okay, what does it mean for every sofa that we sell in IKEA uh, when it comes to design for adaptability or design for repair, maybe? And uh, what does it mean for uh, the, all the various accessories uh, or uh, glass uh, or uh, dishwares or uh, whatever we have in our range? Uh, so we need to be more precise and concrete in our design principles, I would say. So did I get that right? You're looking at the context in which the products are used and what expectations customers have towards it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so also kind of looking into uh, what we learned from our customer when we have been out and talking to them as well. So uh, also looking into new uh, opportunities, new business models done for the furniture to actually be able to define that. So when we look into... Uh, Ceramics, for example, maybe, or 
dishwares. Uh, maybe we see that, well, there is no real interest for customer to lease these products and customers don't normally tend to sell these uh, products either at the end of life. They rather send it to, uh, you know, they throw it away. So then we more need to, maybe there we need to more uh, focus on the actual materials we use so that we can secure that it goes to recycling at the end of life. While for sofas, for example, there we actually see the potential of uh, looping products and we need to more focus, of course, still have a focus on the material we use, uh, but we need to uh, emphasize also more on uh, the adaptability and the repair and the care for the products. Mm. So there's not one set of criteria relevant for all products. It depends on its usage. Yes, yes, exactly. The design principles you mentioned, have they been stable over time? Uh, <laughs> actually, some of them have has changed. Uh, so previously, we had, uh, when we looked into the uh, design for, uh, uh, sorry, disassembly and reassembly, for example, previously we only had the criteria design for assembly, if I remember correctly. Uh, but then what we found out when we you know, sat down with the product teams uh, to discuss it was that, well, yes, you can assemble some products, but when it comes to actually moving it around, you will need to disassemble it, and that we, can't, that we haven't really offered. So then we saw that we kind of need to change the name and also the criteria we have in that design principles to actually accommodate for securing that customer can take products with them when they move or they can disassemble the products uh, and uh, just to the point where they can change the faulty components uh, or whatever they need to disassemble the products for. And once they have done that, it should be easy for them to reassemble it as well and uh, disassembling it shouldn't actually damage the product. Uh, and that means, of course, then uh, moving away from uh, like a nail in the back of uh, storage systems, uh, where you kind of historically have, for some products, uh, you uh, you have to nail the back into the panel. And that that's not very convenient when you need to uh, change the panel or if you need to disassemble the whole uh, wardrobe after. Mm. Will you also change the design of the products? So do we have customers have to expect more standardized or less creative products? I think that, that, that is a super good question. That That's also one of the biggest concerns, I think, in the organization where we started to talk about design for standardization. Uh, but what we're talking about in uh, design for standardization is not you know, standardizing the visual expression you get from a furniture. It's rather looking into which components can we actually standardize without limiting the expression and everything you like about IKEA. Uh, so we only emphasize then on the certain components, maybe some measurements or some inside measurements for uh, shelves and drawers and things like that, uh, which would then, of course, create... Uh, make it easier for us when it comes to maintaining spare parts. Uh, it would also create uh, a scale of economy for us, uh, you know, stand, trying to standardize as much as possible. Uh, but I think the key thing here is that we do not want to alter the expressions of IKEA's furniture today. So we try to standardize without actually changing what you see, you could say. One thing is changing the products. Another one is the behavior of the customers, especially the length of the usage loop. Do you think you can nudge people into other behavior? And do you want to support people in a more circular usage as well? I, I, I absolutely think we, we can. Uh, but it will differ quite a lot depending. Or yeah, the means of how we are to do it will differ quite a lot. Uh, so what we look into when we develop new products is, of course, uh, you know, setting an intended lifespan for a product. So maybe if we develop a sofa, I don't know now, but let's say that we intend the lifespan to be uh, 10 or 15 years. 
but then uh, maybe we see that the majority of the customers buying that particular sofa is maybe students and uh, they only keep it for about one year before they sell it to a new customer or they throw it away because they don't have the space anymore. Uh, then we need to look into particular uh, criteria we need to set on those kind of products. Uh, like uh, we, we can't really influence that the students will no longer you know, f- sell them or throw them away. But what we can do is secure or at least uh, provide some support in how they are to resell them or use the right material so once they throw them away we do know that it will be recycled so it could be for example offering adaptability for the on that particular sofa so you could buy potentially a two-seat section sofa but then when you want to move to a new uh, accommodation or a new apartment then you can still take that two-seater with you uh, but you also have the option then to add number of new sections so whether if you in your new uh, accommodation you have place for uh, four sections so i don't know then you should be able to just add that to your two seat, uh, seat section sofa instead of having to sell it and then buy an entirely new four seat section sofa so kind of having the product grow with your life situation this was a great example of a single product. Let's zoom out again and look at the whole portfolio of IKEA. How do you keep an overview and manage the circularity metrics of all the products? No, so it uh, it is actually a huge work uh, currently ongoing. Uh, but we have, uh, of course, found some ways how to minimize the effort or uh, the uh, uh, the workload. So what we're doing is kind of grouping the our range in a new way uh, towards what we call circular groups. So moving all products towards uh, a certain recipe where we then have predefined criteria. So maybe if we see that we have the same circular criteria for sofas as we do for sofa beds, then there's no need to treat them separately when it comes to uh, circularity. So then we put them in the same group, but of course we still have to go through every single item by its own to then secure that, okay, what kind of materials do we use in this product? Uh, do we offer adaptability? Uh, do we have spare parts available, etc. So these are the questions we then ask ourselves. And then, depending on how well you fulfill the various criteria, we use a scoring method of zero, which is not fulfilling any of the criteria, one, which is partly fulfilling the criteria, and then two, uh, which means that you're fulfilling all the criteria we have in place today. So, in a recipe, you will then be able to see all the applicable design principles and the uh, the various criteria we have put under them. So if uh, we come across a product that fulfills all the various design principles and all their criteria, then we will have 100% circular products. And this will score two? Yes. Okay, and just to make sure that I understand it correctly, the circular groups you build are based on similarities according to the design principles. So even if they don't have much... Uh, Uh, in common, you treat them the same from a circular perspective. Yeah, exactly. So, so if we look into, for example, cutleries, uh, we don't really put an emphasis on adaptability for cutleries. Uh, so we don't put any criteria saying that you should be able to, uh, you know, change the color maybe of your cutleries after a certain time period. Instead, we put more criteria when it comes to recycling and uh, you what materials you use and how you are to care for them i mean are they dishwash uh, safe and do we actually communicate to the customer that they are dishwash safe so those are the emphasis done on cutleries while for sofas then we put more extreme or more criteria on you know can you change the cover on this sofa if you can't really change it Easily, if we don't offer that to a customer, then you will rate lower in adaptability than for a sofa where we, we you know, we offer maybe 20 various colors uh, of the cover. 
You said your scale is from zero to two. Why didn't you end up with another scale, let's say from one to 10? Yeah, no, we actually tried out, we started with a scale of one to five, I think. Uh, and what we noticed there was that we, we came to a lot of discussion because it is kind of a qualitative discussion which we are trying to quantify. So we ended up in a lot of discussions, you know, should we use, should this be rated a three or should it be rated a four? And what we noticed in the end was that it shouldn't really matter. I mean, either, either you are fully fulfilling the criterias or you're not. And if you're not, then either you are partly fulfilling some of the criterias, meaning that you still have some way to go. You do have some criterias you need to put focus on, uh, but you're kind of there or you have a scored a zero. And if you have scored a zero, we kind of want to say that, well, this is probably a product we need to do an improved project on, or we should no longer sell this particular product. Uh, so a one then means that, well, you do still have some work to do, but, but it may be not that much, while a zero then is, well, you have a lot to do in order for this product to be considered a circular product. So there's also no room in between, like a 1.5, it would either be one or two. Yes. Or in, in the case of 1.5, it would probably be a one. Exactly. Now, and if we link this to the overall strategy, is your ambition to bring all products to two, or is this even possible, considering the dependencies on the recycling industry in the countries, but also the dependency uh, on the usage behavior? Isn't it at least really hard to get to two? Yes, no, very, very true. And uh, so that, that, that is what we're going to focus on now come uh, autumn, to really look into the baseline we have in place uh, and then uh, try to see, okay, what, what gaps do we have? How are we to actually move that gap? And is it possible at all to move that gap? Or do we need to create a larger uh, project to actually look into You know, because we don't want all the various product teams to take every problem we have and treat them uh, uh, independently or to, you know, treat them isolated. So now we, in the baseline, will then be able to identify the main concerns we have at IKEA to then be able to say, okay, we use this material in a lot of various products and these are the issues connected to that material. And then we need to look take take it on a more higher agenda or a higher scope to actually see, okay, what does this mean for the entirety of IKEA? Is it the material that we should stop with? Or do we know potential solutions which we could uh, use in order for us to continue using this material? Hmm. And will this classification at some point be visible to your customers? Uh, I think I think it would be super interesting to actually be able to uh, communicate it out to the customers. Unfortunately, there's no plan as of now to show the baseline. Uh, so it will more it's more something that we are working with uh, internally at IKEA. Uh, but then I think in the future when we want to communicate, because of course we want to communicate this somehow, but then it won't really be the ranking system you will see maybe will more put it in text saying that this uh, so this particular sofa is uh, highly adaptable and upgradable and uh, when it comes to recycling there's no issue because we have uh, separated these materials from each other which is uh, you know commonly an issue for the waste management companies and uh, these components you can buy as spare parts if you need it in the future etc so it That, that's how I believe that we will communicate this going forward. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious what we will see in the market in the next years. Uh, I think more and more companies will come up with such kind of scores or classifications. We also have this discussion in our team. Shall we make a score visible? And uh, uh, if yes, in what kind? And um, yeah, in doing so, can we help the customer to treat the product in a more circular way? How will they react and to what extent will it be important for them? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 
coming back to IKEA, I understood that this is a zero measurement for you right now. Do you have an idea how the overall goal setting will look like? The main goal is clear, of course, being fully circular. Yes. But you certainly need milestones in between. How will this look like? Uh, absolutely. And uh, that th that is partly what will come out of these uh, roadmaps that will now uh, uh, start to build uh, after the summer. Uh, and hopefully we will then get some more clear milestones or more uh, divided goals kind of saying that well by uh, 2022 we should have phased out this material maybe or we should have made all sofas uh, fulfilling these uh, particular criteria maybe uh, but unfortunately I don't have any concrete uh, goals like that yet and can you already share experience about the relation between circular goals and protection costs goals This is a discussion I observe in companies even before having circular goals. Everyone fears that circular goals will compromise cost goals. Yes. What is your expectation about this topic? No, but I, I share the same experience there. I mean, uh, when, when you start to talk about these new uh, sustainable uh, uh, initiatives, uh, people tend to, the, to also start the discussion with cost and saying that it's almost always a one-to-one -one ratio. So if you increase the sustainability of a product, you will also increase the cost. But what we have found actually is that there are a lot of uh, things that you can do that are quite low-hanging fruit. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have to increase the cost. Of, of course, there could be some initial costs uh, connected to it. But in the long term, we see that it is actually something that could help us save costs. Uh, so I think it is a super important topic to always carry with you. I mean, also looking into the feasibility because IKEA is, uh, I mean, IKEA's vision is to reach the many people. Uh, and of course, both cost or affordability and sustainability plays a huge role in that. So it's more trying to compromise between the two or trying to balance the two always to see that. Because if we make all the various initiatives that we could do and make uh, a super sustainable product maybe, but if we do that at a cost at a cost of cost, so to say, you mean, you know, by totally diminishing the affordability of the product, then we will no longer be able to sell that product to our customers. Uh, so it is a balance where we need to look into, okay, how can we make this as sustainable as possible uh, without, you know, increasing the costs too much. So, Simon, you shared many experiences from IKEA's journey and mentioned also the role of the customer Since you're an expert in this field, <laughs> I'm also a customer. What could be my contribution towards more circular use of furniture? No, it's, it's a very interesting question. And uh, unfortunately, um, I'm not always uh, living as I'm learning, uh, to be honest. So I, I can give you an example of... Uh, I've already give, gave you some example of students uh, who, in the end of life, they throw away their furniture, try to sell them to new customers. And in that, in this case, that was an actual real-life uh, example because it's actually me. Uh, so, for example, when I, when I had uh, a dorm room uh, in my student, uh, uh, yeah, during my studies, Uh, I, I got a dorm room for a six-month period and I bought a lot of furniture to be able to then have all the functionality I wanted in my home. What I didn't care about at that time was the actual form of the products, uh, so the design of them. And I didn't really think about what, what will I do with these products once uh, my six-month period is over. So after six months, when I got a new, uh, a much bigger apartment, then, uh, of course, I wanted to bring my furniture to that new uh, apartment uh, because they had the functionality I desired, but they didn't really have the form I desired. So I ended up actually having to sell the furniture or gave it away to charity. And in some cases, the furniture, so in some 
some of the products I couldn't actually even sell, send to charity because they were too bulky for them. So I had to throw them away. So I think a big part is what you actually see or think ahead of the furniture that you're buying. What do you want to do with them? What, what is the purpose of the furniture? Do you want to uh, have it uh, just for a brief time period? Then you should already start thinking about, okay, what, what is the second-hand value of this product? What, what can I get out of this when I sell it uh, next time? Uh, or what what can I do with this product if my life situation changes? Maybe I need to move to a smaller apartment. Is it enough that I, you know, if I have a big wardrobe, is it possible to uh, split it into two various wardrobes? I only I could at least bring one of them, or would I? Would it mean that I need to scrap the entire thing or sell the entire thing? So it's more, uh, yeah, they, uh, being uh, kind of. Uh, and looking into the future to see, okay, how will my life situation change and uh, how can I actually adapt my furniture towards that change? Right, right. Considering a future usage in your buying decision will certainly help. Moreover, I'm really excited to see many new services. We can't imagine right now around that topic. No, exactly. It's super exciting times going ahead. And I think... Uh, uh, there, there is a major shift ongoing and all these new services that we need to accommodate for that. I mean, we see them popping up in some markets, but we have yet to see them really, you know, uh, being scaled up to be a full form solution. So we do have a lot of these uh, small uh, care and repair services out in some markets, but then... You know, I, I really think there is a scalable solution where a company can actually take charge in this and say that, well, we will actually provide you with all these various uh, services that you need in order to uh, have a more sustainable consumption. Simon, thanks a lot for sharing your experiences. I'm really curious to see where you will be in one year from now yes. and uh, also what we will be able to observe from the outside. Thank you very much for joining this episode. Thanks for having me. This episode was about some of the experience IKEA recently made along their circular journey. With the next episode, we will stay in the furniture industry and shed some light on a product as a service model. I will talk to Lisette of Betsy, a startup by Oping. Lisette will share her experience with consumers' attitude towards leasing a product they previously bought and also her experience in establishing a new brand. And until then, please don't forget, the most abundant renewable resource is your imagination. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models. Circularity FM